at the beginning of the 21st century, the most glorious podcast in podcast land would face a mighty foe, the lack of history hangout episodes. Two men would rise to inspire the nation, to cast aside a reluctant lack of history hangout episodes and a hated distance between the two of them. And a new republic would be born in wine, the wine of the French Revolution. Bonjour, Steven. Uh, adios, Dave. Close enough. Yeah, I think that's pretty close. Hey, guess what, guys? It's the third unexpected episode of History Hangouts. History Hangouts. My name's Dave. My name is Steven. And guess what? We're touching each other's yeah, bodies. Oh, yeah. You're sitting right next to me. We're also uh, clinking wine glasses. That was... <laughs> it was great. I don't care. I don't care. So uh, I know we said we were going to talk about history's greatest couples. Yeah. But we're going to give you history's greatest couple. Yeah. Stephen and Dave. Yes. Together. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Forever. Uh, so this is kind of an unexpected history I hangouts. I love you. This is kind of an unexpected history hangouts. We didn't know if you're going to have time to record. Uh, Dave, Dave's in town for a short period of time, and I was in town for a short period of time, and we thought, let's bang one out. Let's bang. Yeah. It, one, one out. out. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Dave, man, how are you? I'm good, dude. I uh, drove from Indiana to South Carolina for uh, an engagement party, and I had an extra day, and you were here, and I was like, "Yeah, let me see that loser." And uh, here we are, touching butts, touching butts and stuff. So, Stephen, yes, I gotta know. <laughs> this week, yeah, did you? Uh, do anything good um <laughs> it feels so unnatural with you sitting right next to me yeah because we've already been talking we've for, already, yeah. we got chicken and waffles yeah we're drinking wine we are drinking wine Steven, why are we drinking wine so this week we're drinking wine because we are talking about the french revolution today for history hangouts Ooh. yeah and as you know we always accompany history hangout with an alcohol from the area and we chose wine we did choose wine and i don't like wine so I, say, I love wine. I'm drinking fruit juice with alcohol in it. And Steven's drinking big boy wine. Yeah. So Dave's drinking Moscato. I don't know what that is. But it's it's it's, it's fruit fruit juice with alcohol in so, it. So because I don't care about your week because I already heard all yeah. about it, and they'll hear it next time when we do mm-hmm. whatever the hell we do. Steven, why don't you talk about the French Revolution for about forty seven minutes? Go. Alright, cool. So the sad thing is I probably could do that. Uh so, the French Revolution's, like, one of my, like, as you know, Dave, medieval history is my favorite time period in history, because it's the best time mm-hmm. period in history. Mm-hmm. It's just scientifically mm-hmm. proven. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. French Revolution's a close second. I think the French Revolution's awesome. And um, I think, you know, we always try to center our history hangouts around, like, a central idea. Yes. Like, World War II, we talked about the home front in America. The home front in America. Right. And so, I think this week, what we're talking about with the French Revolution is we're going to talk about what makes a revolution. And, and why the French Revolution is the revolution. Right. How it's kind of the pinnacle revolution. And even though we tend to think of the American Revolution as the pinnacle revolution. Guess the fuck what? Yeah. It's not a revolution. Yeah. Yeah, the argument can be made there, can it? I mean, it's not. If yeah. you if you take a historical definition of a revolution, the American Revolution is not a revolution. It is a war of independence. And the difference between these two things 
is basis of entity, essentially. So a war of independence is where, like, an entity seeks independence from a greater power, i.e. the 13 colonies, wanting freedom and liberty from their parent entity being Great Britain. But a revolution is a restructuring of an entity and a government to sue a new government. So, uh, like, when there's change from within. So, sorry... American Revolutionary War vets, you aren't real. That never happened. Hmm. It's the War of Independence. Yeah, it is the war, and that's why we call it the War of Independence, not Independence the Am- Day. Right. Aliens blowing up the White House. Right. Welcome to Earth. Welcome to Earth. Uh, so the French Revolution can be defined as the Pinnacle Revolution because it's this whole organic movement that takes place. Let's just be real. It takes place in Paris. Yeah. Uh, it takes place a little bit in the colonies at the very beginning. And then the colonies realize that they're so, like, just, you know, moved from Paris, like, so, like... So different. So different. So on, like, the, you know, they were on another planet compared to Paris. It's like how modern France is, too, you know? Yeah. There's Paris and Paris culture, and then there's France. Yeah. Very true. Uh, But Paris... So it it all pretty much happens in Paris, and it's this, you know, I think... I talked about it a little bit last week, actually, with the coffee and how the French Revolution was partially partially planned in coffee houses. Yeah. Uh, it was this great meeting point of of great minds like Maximilien Robespierre and Danton. And is that what we're gonna be doing? <laughs> you actually speak a little bit of French, don't you? I speak a little lot of bit of French. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could do this whole thing in French if you want. Could you really? Yeah, you want me to? Try it. Je peux parler en français pour le reste de la podcast du. I don't know what podcast is in French, but. C'est fini. The, the, the best thing is that I don't know any French, so I don't know if you're telling, if you're like actually speaking French or not. Oh, oui, je parle français. Oh, mm-hmm. sure. Okay. I mean, if we, we want to do that, it would be the worst thing ever. So let's not. Yeah. But we will be saying a lot of French words, and I have a rule in history where if you have a word and it's like origin is different, you're going to say it in its origin right. than it is in English, because that's the reason why the world's so fucked up and why we have Spain <laughs> and not Espana or Germany and not, not Deutschland. Deutschland. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Uh, so let's, let's kind of jump into the meat of this bad boy. So... <laughs> Like what you say as you're eyeing a Subway sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, not a good one. Not a good one. Like, a Subway sandwich that you're ashamed of yourself for creating. Like, the meatball with extra meat. Oh, God, the meatball. The 12-inch meatball. Get the meatball. Add pepperonis. <laughs> Provolone. That's the way to go. That's no veggies. The, fuck veggies. Yeah. The veggies at Subway are gross. I'm sorry, they're gross. They've been in that shit all day. They're, they're gross. the liquid? They're gross. Uh, okay. Yeah. 1789. July 14th, 1789. Some people were like, fuck this thing that we got going on called the French aristocracy. Because what had been going on for the past billion years? Uh, pretty much. Approximately about the billion years, yeah. Is the Versailles culture and the culture of consumption and the culture of not giving a fuck about the French peasantry. Right. Which is why they were all starving during the Ice Age. The mini Ice Age. There was yeah. a mini Ice Age. There's always a mini Ice Age right before something crazy. And then there was a mini Ice Age 2, the meltdown. And then there was a mini Ice Age 3, Continental Drift, yeah. where that squirrel finally got the nut. I love that squirrel. That's a good squirrel. But, uh, so everyone was hungry because the French crown had been spending all of its money helping 
with a war of independence. Right. Our war of independence. So I think I think that's one thing we should tackle. But before we tackle that, I think we, you know, we need to work on setting the scene a little bit more. Oh, you so, want to set the scene? Yeah, let's set the scene a you little bit. You want to pull in the props? Get the kid in the tree costume out there? Right. Let's do it. Um. So. So. To, to to understand why the French revolted, you got to understand the makeup of French society at the time. Okay, so there's three classes. There's three classes. The three first, estates. Yeah, there's three estates. The, the first estate, estate system. <laughs> you gonna let me talk, or are you just gonna go? I mean, this is the fucking AP Euro version. We gotta do it step by step. Yeah, get out your vocab. So you have the three estates. The estate system. The estate system. And the first estate is the clergy. And the clergy is anyone who works within the church. The Catholic Church. The church the Catholic Church the because Roman Catholic Church. Because while the Protestant Reformation was a thing, you know, that happened about two hundred years prior to this, uh it 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 mainly occurred in Germany and England. Uh definitely not in Spain. Yeah. And only a little bit in France. France was still pretty Catholic. Um Yeah, all the French the Protestants were shipped off to America, the Huguenots, mm. to Charleston, actually. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, France is super Catholic. They're right. the ones who started the war with the papacy because they had a new pope that mm-hmm. they wanted to be French. That one time we had two popes. Oh, you remember when we had two popes? Yeah. Uh, it was a good the time. The Agincourt Schism. Schism? Uh, so, so the first estate's the clergy, and there's anyone who works within the church system. Second estate is the nobility, yep. and or the royalty. Pretty much, if you have some sort of title, you belong to the second estate. Yep. And that doesn't mean you necessarily have money or, or land. You know, it no. just means that you have a title. Uh, but yeah, yeah. all in all, these these first two estates make up about like nine or like about two percent of the population. Yeah, uh, and the rest all belongs to this third estate. Then the third estate is literally everybody else. And even if you have, you know, a substantial amount more money than someone in the second estate and you're in the third estate, you're still of the third estate. Yeah, it's all about titles. It's all about titles. Um, and so, so there's this huge amount of, of, of tension between the estates. And, um, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it, you, can, you can see the problems that this would cause, right? Yeah, so, like, the, the way that sort of the democracy of the monarchy happened so there were issues the estates would vote on things right mm-hmm. so you'd have the first and second estate who were totally allied because everything they wanted uh you know w- was for them and it was usually detrimental to everybody in the third estate and right. the third estate you know despite having way more people had one third representation alongside the other thirds of the first and second estate. So it was always two to one and never in the third estate's favor for things like, you know, uh, domestic affairs and like tax changes and, and, and crop thingies and whatever. And and this meeting of this, of the States, like the formal meeting of the States happens, um, in 1789, right before, the French Revolution. It's called the Estates General, and uh, while while the uh, <laughs> while the Estates, uh, you know, they certainly communicated and talked. The a formal meeting like this hadn't occurred since 1614, um, so it was almost kind of seen as a last resort. And the reason this Estates General met in the first place was because of the amount of bullshit that was happening in France. Such bullshit. Such bullshit. Uh, so first of all, you have a king who doesn't want to be king. He doesn't want to have sex with his wife either. Yeah, uh, he's he's uh, you know childish. Louis the Sixteenth, by the way, I think we should yeah. say Louis the Sixteenth and Maria Antoinette. 
what? It's Ant- Marie Antoinette. Antoinette? What do you sound like? You're choking on <laughs> Marie Antoinette. Uh, She's Austrian. She is Austrian. She brought the uh, croissant to France. By the way, fun fact. Did you know that the croissant's not French? It's Austrian. Mind blown. Still delicious. So delicious. It's so good. Uh, so the re- so the their their problems brewing. Problems brewing. The first of all, I think we we mentioned it and we should talk about it now is the fact that we bankrupted France. Yeah. So everybody, like I said in the previous episode of Bad History about foods that changed the world, I did sugarcane, and I mentioned how during the American War of Independence, there was sort of a secondary theater in the Caribbean where the British Navy fought against the French Navy. And the French Navy got in on that because they fucking hate the British. Everybody hates the British. The British suck. And uh, they spent all this money helping us gain our independence. And they didn't really see any sort of, uh, you know, reimbursement of this. They just spent all this money to fuck over Britain. And it worked. We're here. And it's great. But, like... (laughs) But, like, the people of France were like, why did we do that? Why did we go to Vietnam? We don't care. Yeah, we don't know yeah. these people. <laughs> so, uh, like, all the money's gone in the treasury. The right. first and second state are like, yeah, let's go to war. The third state's like, please, no. But they did anyway. Yeah. And then what happens? A uh, little ice age hits. It kills all the crops. The French poor peasantry which relied entirely on wheat entirely on grains entirely on bread diet consisted of about two pounds of bread a day the price of flour was like way too much at the skyrocketing skyrocketing no food having to import food nobody's happy everybody's starving and on top of that the enlightenment's happening Mm -hmm. and the enlightenment if you don't know about it is this Really pretentious, like, thing you hashtag when you're talking about political shit on Facebook. So, you're like, oh, Bernie Sanders saving the world, hashtag wake up, hashtag enlightenment. But what it really is, (laughs) is uh, this, this era of academic and intellectual evolution and revolution where we start questioning things and learning things and we're using science more and reason and logic and mm-hmm. it really leads to philosophical uh, debates in the salons of France. Les salons. Where you would drink coffee, as Stephen would tell you, mm-hmm. and put sugar cane in that coffee and be like, yo, fuck this king loser. Let's do something about it. Right. You know what happened? They did. Revolution. They fucking did. But industry... But industry, that the industry, was a revolution. <laughs> the industry, my friends. <laughs> oh shit, Jesus! Nobody uh, gets that. <laughs> uh, so, so the the Enlightenment definitely takes like this huge, huge, uh, huge shit. It's it's almost, it's a it's a cat. Yeah, <laughs> it's a catalyst into the to the French Revolution. So at first, when 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 they decide to revolt, when or I guess not even revolt. At first, it's not a question of revolt. It's a question of let's try to fix this internally, yeah. and let's try to make this work. And so, you know, they they cause such a stink that the States General is called. And like I said, the Estates General is a meeting, a formal meeting of uh of the three estates. And so you send representatives from the estates. And they come and they meet and to discuss things. And like Dave mentioned, when they take a vote, 
it's uh, every estate gets one vote. So it's three votes. And of course, the first two estates are going to, you know, gang up on the on the third estate because what's beneficial for the first two is... And like, you also got to remember at this time that most of the clergy was fed, uh, especially higher up clergy, by second sons of nobility. So they're, right. helping, they're helping their fathers and, and stuff out at this point. You know, like the ones who didn't get the title got got the church. They got the right, chop. Exactly. They went to they got the chop. They got the chop. Um, we'll be talking about the chop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rip Tyler. Uh, <laughs> uh, so they they call this this estates journal, and they you know it's quick. They quickly realize how ineffective this is. Um, their voice isn't getting heard. They're really frustrated that that uh, it's 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 a system based on a single vote and like the forum for debate is a joke at this right. point and uh and you, you, the third estate's not getting heard right and so then the national assembly kind of happens and to explain this we have to talk about the tennis court oath and, and can i do you mind go for it okay so the first two estates are playing a little prank they're thinking ha ha he he let's bar- barricade the entrance for the third estate actually the estates general can I can I say something? Yeah, go for it. There's no proof that it was done on you know maliciously. That it might have just been a mistake. Anyway, that, that the door was locked. Well, the, the door was locked. The door was locked. The for door sure. was locked. And you know they show up and they're like, "We can't get in." And they're debating, "What do we do?" They're like, "Well, we, we let's, let's let's fucking corral." So they find this tennis court, which is like it's down like on the street. Ha- it's like a handball court. handball court. And they go they go in there and they're like, "We vow to not stop." Until we could create real change and revolutionize the way this fucked up system is. And, and everyone says, fuck that guy, yeah. the king, Louis. He's a big wet wiener. Yeah. Well, and more importantly, they vow to never disband until they have a constitution. That's exactly right. So they, they vow to never disband the National Convention, until National then. Assembly, I'm sorry, the National Assembly until they have a constitution which is huge i mean that's like that's a really really big deal and that is the oath that became the tennis court oath. the tennis court oath. right and so what they do is they say we're going to start meeting separately as the third estate and they invite the other two estates and they say you can come join us but we're not going to wait for you oh uh, you have you know we're going to give you the opportunity to come hang out with us and to like try to you know we're going to be changing shit we're writing a constitution you can be a part of it but we're not gonna you know we're not gonna you know wait for you and so um, eventually, it's kind of this slow process of of the first two estates wising up to the fact that change is coming no matter what. And then and, it eventually does, of course. And that right. is the French Revolution. So as you can see, based on how this sort of internal power struggle happened and how, as we know, the French Revolution occurred, this, this is the true definition of a revolution. Reform right. from within to change something that is already there. And that, that's really what separates it from wars of independence. Now, Stephen. Yeah. Changing gears here. Let's do a quick gear change. Let's do a quick gear change. We're in third. Let's fucking drop it into negative first. Gear. Okay. Okay. So we're just going to fuck up the car. We're going to drop the transmission out the back. Just we're going to look in the rear view and say goodbye as we coast. Um, okay. Off a cliff. Yeah. So... One aspect of the French Revolution that is super interesting that you touched on before is sort of this disconnect among the revolutionary parties that really becomes a problem, especially during the end. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have like this intellectual elite, which really doesn't have that much common in the everyday peasant farmer. And in terms of 
you know, what they want to accomplish, what they're trying to accomplish, what their backgrounds are, they're completely different. They're on different planets here, mm-hmm. right? So the peasants just want food. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But people like the lawyers in the Saint-Alens in Paris, people like Maximilien Robespierre, they want sort of like extreme leftist radical uh, political change. Yeah. So this is something that I've thought was a major downfall of the French Revolution is that the disconnect between sort of the people fighting the revolution and the people leading the revolution was so great. Because as we all know, in the end, they got the chop. Yeah, they, they, they did get the chop. They all get the chop. And they were killing thousands of people every day during the Reign of Terror. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is, it's really interesting, the peasant kind of interaction with the French Revolution, because... In a lot of ways, there isn't any. Yeah, right. Um, there's a huge disconnect between the pe- between the peasantry, honestly, the rest of France and Paris. Um, the if you're if you're living outside of France, you feel the revolution the very beginning, right? And that's about it. And the reason for this is, I think, is kind of what you were talking about. The peasants, they just want food, and you know, it's it's much less complicated. You know, where in the in the towns that they're living in, and uh, and even in some of the bigger towns like Lyon, there's uh, there's a lot of you know desire to kind of keep things the way they were because things weren't that bad. Yeah, they weren't too bad. They weren't right. too bad. I mean, it was shit, but like you also got to understand that France has been a country for a while and they've gone through some shit. Right. And so it's it's you know, and there's this huge extremist reaction to these people into these towns by the revolutionaries in Paris, they don't get it. They don't get why Leon would hold off, you know, embracing the revolution and hold on to the monarchy. So much so that they had to send in the national army to sack the city. Yeah. And, like, kill everybody who was, was like, you know, defended it. There's such a huge level of disconnect. It became sort of like a strong cult of ideology where, right. you know, almost like Soviet-esque where you called people uh, like comrade, yeah, you, you know call them I mean? citizens. Citizens is yeah. what you call them, and like you held the new constitution above the Bible, like right. literally above the Bible. And a lot of these French people still devout Catholics, still devout, you know, family people who would never turn in their neighbor for something as simple as that. And and one of the loudest uh, revolutionary voices in the beginning, at least was the newspaper writer from L'Ami du Peuple. His name was Jean-Paul Marat. And uh, do you want to translate what uh, what his actual... Oh, it's the friend of the people. Friend Sorry. of the people, yep. So he, he's this Parisian newspaper writer, right? And during the terror, he is publishing names of political dissidents who are just regular people, who aren't mm-hmm. totally on board with this radical revolution. And he's calling for their heads. He's calling for the guillotine which is a new, shiny, big old razor blade, the National Razor, the National Equalizer. It's in Paris. Drops down, cuts your head off, you smile, you wink, you blade. Everybody collects the blood, and they sell them on eBay. Yep. But he's he's like, you know, I'm in my bath, because I got cholera or whatever, because I used to hang out in the sewers. True fact. <laughs> True fact. He was a Charlie Kelly sewer dweller, <laughs> and he got diseased, so he used to take these long, luxurious baths. Like, like know, medical baths. I know I do. Yeah. And then he would write these newspapers, and uh, one day, a peasant girl said, fuck that, I'm tired of that shit. So she stabbed him. Her name was Charlotte Corday. She says she has a list of people who he needs to publish. Um, 
in the newspaper because they're like you know revolutionaries. They're they're anti revolutionaries. Anti revolutionaries. They're plotters. Right. They're Harry plotters. And he she goes to the list and he's like, yeah, give me the names. They'll, he says something along the lines of, their heads will be separated within the afternoon. Like, yeah, he's, yeah. He's like so proud of himself. She stabs him with. Like a knife, like, like a like stiletto. A, yeah, like a butter knife. <laughs> it's, it's not a butter knife. It's like a um, like a, a steak knife. No, it's it's a um, like a, st- a stiletto is like a, it's almost you know like the fencing swords. Yeah, it's like a really tiny one of those. Okay, so it's like a point, and yeah. she just like fucking stabs him in the bathtub, <laughs> and he fucking like you know you know the famous like in the bathtub. There's the blood painting by right. Jacques Louis David. It looks like. Jesus. Buff as shit. Yeah. He's got like a turban on or something. I don't know. Yeah. Look at that painting. It's cool as shit. And uh, he dies. And then she dies and she gets guillotined because the revolution was like, oh, Marat, he was a saint. And then he mm-hmm. technically becomes a saint eventually in the new revolutionary religion. Which but, is crazy, which by is, the way. Which is totally crazy. Yeah. But, uh, but it's very endemic of the difference between the Parisian loudmouth revolutionaries and the everyday citizens of Paris. Right. This girl committed murder, traveled hundreds of miles from her home to commit a murder because this guy was just calling for the deaths of hundreds of people that she deemed innocent. Right. And that they hadn't committed a single crime except against the new regime. And, you know, this new regime... It was a regime, pretty much. Yeah, it was. I mean, it very much was, especially during the reign of terror. It was, it was almost an oligarchy, but the oligarchy was like disagreeing with each other. Oh, definitely. Like, you, I mean, they were killing each other, right? And I mean, I like the there's a whole thing where it's like the revolution consumes its own. It Danton dies because of the revolution. Marat dies because of the revolution. Robespierre most notably dies because of the revolution. If you don't know, these are like the ultimate higher up loudmouth yeah. super leftist radical revolutionary they were the, people. The the Jacobins. Yeah. So and so and so oh, I'm gonna talk about this the the Jacobins. Um the Jacobin trades. And so in the National Assembly, much like much like our political system here, you have leftists and you have rightists. And so rightists. Rightists. I rightist to my editor and I say nay. John Paul Marat yeah. should die, and it was all about, and, and you had the same deal going on in the National Assembly. It was all, but it was all based on where you sat in the National Assembly, and like, <laughs> you like sit on the left, yeah, you were leftist. leftist, and um, so the Jacobins were like this far radical group. Yo, there's this like one guy in a wheelchair, and the like wheelchair section is like on the left. He's like, I don't like these guys. They're talking, <laughs> they're talking some crazy <laughs> shit. Talking, over about, here. talking about like killing the king, and <laughs> so the the Jacobins really did they were this they were like this they were the the loud mouth like hate group and super extremists and they were the ones that were calling for the king's head like he's such a shit lord yeah <laughs> <laughs> such a douchebag dude, just kill him dude kill him just kill him and his wife fucked her kids too yeah well, probably <laughs> probably we have no proof but... no proof but you know look at her she probably so, fucked her kids probably and so the Jacobins are calling for the head of the king way before anybody else is. And in fact, a lot of, most people are against executing the king. Even after the constitutional monarchy falls apart and it goes to this, like, new enlightened, enlightened, like, oligarchical council. Yeah. Um, 
they were they were saying you know let's not kill the king he's he's still a powerful ally to have because this is just Paris where most of the, most of the people are like yeah revolution the rest of France is kind of like we don't really know what the fuck's going on yeah uh, and they still like love the king yeah like the king's because like the king's been they've had a king for since they were a country so. The king's, you know, an important figure. And so most of the people are like, no, let's not kill the king. And the Jacobins pretty much bully them into killing the king. No, we should kill the king. Yeah, like, it's really what it is. Pretty much what they said is, like, if you're against killing the king, then you're, you know, you're against the revolution and you're against, like, the will, the wants of the people, and we're going to kill you. Like, it was really, they were threatened anybody who was against them. And when heads started to roll, that's when those threats started to work. Uh, so the, the Jacobins, in many ways were, like, just this extremist revolutionary group. Yeah. They were the... The Red Shirts. They were the... The Sons of Liberty. Yeah. They were the... I don't know. What's another... Isn't the Brown Shirts Italy? The Brown Shirts of Italy. Yes. I think. They were the Somali Youth League. There you go. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So... Do you know what the official name of the Jacobins was? Tell me. The Society of the Friends of the Constitution. Oh, there we go. You know, it's like, are you are you really against the Society of the right. Friends of the Constitution? You know, the the conservative American political system sends you those letters and it says, like, do you want to repeal the Patriot Act? And it says, no, or yes, I think terrorists should run <laughs> yeah, my country. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much like tricking you into calling yourself, like, a, mo- uh, you know, a Royalist, I guess, you know, yeah. an American independent war of independence term. Um, so it's very interesting how, and then what ends up happening is, you know, that's not a sustainable practice. No. And it all kind of concludes in this thing called the Thermidorian reaction, which takes place uh, towards the end of the revolution and after the, at the end of the reign of terror. And it happens, it's called the Thermidorian reaction because it takes place during the month of July. And uh, one of the many crazy things that the revolution revolutionary government did was they decided to get rid of the Roman calendar system and just make their own. Yeah, it was on base 10. Yeah. Right? So, like, there were, like, three weeks of 10 days in every month. Yeah, it was weird. It was very There was odd. a new goddess. She was, like, the goddess of reason. Of reason. Yeah, it was the god of reason. And it started um, in 1789. So, when it was created, they were on, like, year four or something like that or, like, year three. And so it happens in Thermidor, and it's this huge, and it's, it's, I think, most notably when Maximilian Robespierre gets the chop. Yeah, so, like, there's this thing called the Committee of Public Safety, which does not stand for cops, despite whoever tells you that bullshit, bad boys. Oh, man, that's a throwback. I haven't heard that in forever. Yeah, so the Committee of Public Safety is pretty much the, uh, like, Gestapo... Uh, secret police of the they're, yeah of of the revolution. They're they're the one calling for heads. They're calling for heads. They're entirely run by the Jacobins, and their leader is Maximilien Robespierre, who just had his greatest rival in the revolution, Georges Danton. Uh, they had him executed, executed, beheaded. So Thermidor, everyone's like, "Fuck this, Thermidor! It's hot here." Yeah, whatever Thermidor is, Therm probably hot. So they're like, "Fuck." We're we're hot, we're angry, and we're voting. They literally voted to have Maximilian Robespierre killed. Right. So he shoots himself in the face and misses. And then they put him on trial and he can't defend himself. And this is really important because Maximilian Robespierre 
came to power basically because he was the best arguer, the best speaker of the of the age. Like he right. could he could convince a cow it was a pig. Like and, yeah. and he was so well trained as a lawyer in um this enlightenment sort of uh philosophy that that he could reason anybody to anything, but because he shot himself and he broke his jaw, he couldn't defend himself. So he Got the chop. Got the chop. And, and George Danton also was like an amazing public speaker, but they they bound and gagged him during his uh, during his trial. So yeah. that's that's why he got a, killed. A trial and some heavy <laughs> some heavy quotes. Trial. It's they're gonna say a trial and some heavy bedding. <laughs> uh, so the Thermidorian reaction happens. Um. Yeah. And. and- Want to know someone actually who survives the Thermidorian reaction, who later goes on to uh, make some pretty big strides in post-Thermidorian reaction revolutionary France? It's that little, the little penguin man. It's little Talleyrand. It's little Talleyrand. Talleyrand. Does Talleyrand actually survive? Talleyrand survives the the revolution. Talleyrand was around. Talley, then? Talleyrand was around in the revolution. I thought Talleyrand was around during like the 1600s. Oh uh, no, he, he, you you think he is because the dude doesn't die. Fucking Talleyrand. But he helps write the post, uh, uh, like one of the last constitutions. I have to know this. Yeah. Holy shit. The dude. The dude is like. He's everywhere. He's everywhere, and like. Talleyrand's one of those guys. Talleyrand was 84 years old when he died, which doesn't sound like that old, but the the things he did in that that those 84 years of his life isn't is remarkable. Uh, he's he's there for the American War of Independence. He's there for the French Revolution. He's, he's there post French Revolution. He's there post Napoleon. Yeah, he's there post Napoleon. He's it's it's crazy the stuff that he did like that make makes him historically relevant we need a Talleyrand episode we'll do a Talleyrand episode like for sure it might just be like a regular episode where we both just talk about Talleyrand Talleyrand uh, is the fucking he, he's there and he's gone without a trace he's top top five historical like personalities top for me. five non maybe top three non-royal influencers in yeah. history like definitely he's crazy um well Jesus son of God so yeah yeah <laughs> Top three non-royals. Uh, so, so after this Thermidorian reaction, it's when they kind of take a step back and they're like, "Well, what the fuck? What the fuck did we just do?" And um, there's a revolt in our own country. Austria's pressing in because we killed their princess. Not only that, we went to war with all of Europe. All of Europe. Yeah, like that's another thing that happens is like Britain's f- invading Toulon right now. Yeah. We've got some guy down there who's like, you know, head of the fucking like. Uh, What's it called? Artillery? He's head of the artillery. What's his name? Uh, Napoleon. Oh, he's eating an apple. <laughs> he's, looking, he's looking hella emo eating that apple. That's Watch, uh, watch that documentary. Yeah, watch that. Watch that documentary. There's a fantastic Napoleon documentary that... What's it called? I don't know. You knew the name. You told me last time. It's BBC. It's episode Heroes and Villains? Heroes and Villains. It's Heroes and Villains. It's Heroes and Villains. Episode one, Napoleon. Yeah, it's incredible. Oh, it's really good. Also, Napoleon is... Who Steven will be doing next week, Napoleon and Josephine for Best Couples, calling it. No, I'm not. I already know who I'm doing. Are you doing? Yeah. Do you want me to tell you? No, I don't want to. Oh, I'm not going to tell right you. Right, so. Um, so, Steven. Yeah. Let's change gears again. Okay. So, the revolution's over. The Thermidorian reaction happens. Mm-hmm. France, you know, it, it does a very big 180, okay? Yeah. So, 
in the following years, you do have this kind of revolutionary council and like provincial governments and, and sort of things. They revert to a Roman-esque consul system. Yeah, they do. Where you have, it's three consuls, right? Or is it two consuls? No, it's three. It's three. It's three consuls. Yeah. And one of them, speaking of the BBC documentary, is Lil Napoleon Lil Bonaparte. Lil Napoleon. He's Italian. He's not French. He's from Corsica. Mm-hmm. Il Corsica. And he is a consul. And he's like, you know, all around me are unfamiliar faces. And they're... Worn out places? They're, they're encroaching. You got the Britons in the south. You got the Austrians... Yeah in the east got my own people revolting so he goes ham and invades egypt <laughs> yeah well sort of so here's the egyptian campaign and in in many ways they gave napoleon an engine he took a mile with egypt because what they did was the revolutionary uh, council saw the dangers of napoleon because he was in, in italy fighting in italy um and he had extreme loyalty with his troops. He was loved by everybody. And the council, the revolutionary council is like, council is like, well, this could be a problem. So they, they say, they tell Napoleon to go to Egypt, go to Egypt and go spread the good word. And so he goes to Egypt. He goes there and I mean, he, he's able to pretty swiftly conquer the, the Egyptians and like the, what's there isn't, you know, doesn't put up much of a fight. And this is where we get the um, the Rosetta Stone, and where we're able to translate hieroglyphics. And, and the Sphinx loses her nose. And the Sphinx loses her nose job. Right. <laughs> but any, anyway, not going deep into sort of the Napoleon, Napoleon right. but I just want to say it, it's really interesting how negative, like we, we're talking this theme of the disconnect between the revolutionary parties, how negative of a reaction to the revolution France has, right? So after the Thermidorian reaction, everybody is is like, wow, what a horrible system we set up. Let's revert to a Roman consulate, which eventually is accepted as an empire. Like, how twisted is that? That the revolutionary, like, failed almost so bad in its ideological shift that instead of a king and a queen and an aristocracy, we got an emperor, right? Right. Know, of France, and, and that's something that you sometimes see uh, across uh, revolutionary history. You know, it, it's interesting for one that we deposed a king in America to set up a president. I know it's not the same. It definitely isn't mm-hmm. the same. But in France, it's the most aggressive change in direction right. that that they really have and, and that yeah. you know you can chalk that up to napoleon's charisma well i i've got i've got an argument for why that was accepted let's go so the reason why the french people accepted napoleon and as being an emperor because i think it no one else could do it besides napoleon no one else did do it besides napoleon. right but the reason is because a napoleon was universally well liked by anybody he met he right handsome He's ha- he's good looking, nice breath, young, nice breath. He had that uh, little fringe in his hair, right? He's not aggressively tall. He's you know just all around a nice guy, and uh, so he's firm handshake, firm handshake. Really, just he looks you in the eye. It's fantastic. I, I met him once. He really, looks, really he good looks guy. Looks up at you. Um, 
We should also talk about the fact that Napoleon. I Everybody knows that. that Napoleon's not a short ass. Yeah, he's he's normal. Five by, eight, five seven. He was like he was normal by standards at the time. Yeah. So everybody likes him. That's a huge reason. But also, it's consistency. The revolutionary government that was in place for for a few years wasn't consistent. In anything. They killed a bunch of people. It just was like very much like a nuclear reaction. It wasn't anything stable. Yeah. And so now you have a guy and yeah, they're back in an emperor, but he's consistent. He's, you know what you're getting. He's producing results. He's oh, yeah. making, making France of France, a viable country again. Oh, uh, I a hundred percent agree with you. And yeah. I think that if Louis was that kind of guy where he was conquering and feeding his people, then, you know, the revolution wouldn't have happened. Oh, totally. It, it, it's just a matter of who was there. Like, the people don't want freedom. They want prosperity. Right. That's the nature of the beast. Right, and sure. Sometimes you can get prosperity from being in an empire and having an emperor and having an autocrat and a despot or a czar or whatever you want to call it. The one they had just wasn't cutting it. Yeah, no, for sure. And, like, I think you can get away with really shitty kings if everything else is going well. But nothing was going well. That's the thing. It was the perfect storm of bu- bullshit. Like, you had the mini Ice Age. <laughs> the perfect storm of bullshit. <laughs> Duck! <laughs> it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's right? in the raccoon. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, it's just, it was the perfect storm for everything to go wrong. And so, that's why the French Revolution happened. Was It wasn't just because of the shitty king that they had. Because he was a shitty king, but like... Oh, was he a shitty king? But like... There were so many other shitty kings that were also like. Well, they also. Well, you gotta think about the context of Louis the Sixteenth. It's not his fault, but he just came after sort of two of France's most virile, historicized kings: right. Louis the Fourteenth, the fucking Sun God, and then Louis the Fifteenth, the fucking Seven Years War, crazy warmongering, prosperous, angry man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. During Louis XIV's reign, France was at almost an all-time high. Right. You know, I think it, you could say France was at an all-time high. Louis XV kind of continued that, had maybe a few slip-ups, but was still overall regarded as a successful king. And then Louis XVI comes in, and the circumstances but of his reign... I don't want to be king. I don't want to be king. I don't <laughs> want to go to California. I just want to sing. I just want to sing. <laughs> want something special but like you understand what i'm saying yeah so they, they had been content almost in their captivity under a despot yeah it's a very uh, enlightened way to think about it that I they mean, were in captivity no i mean i get what you're saying for sure and it was because i mean i'm, I'm out drinking them. the wine i'm in the salon steven did right. you not bring your waistcoat did you not bring <laughs> Your what are the pants called? That the the knickers. No, the the uh, the Revolutionary Army. They were called the Sans Culottes. Sans Culottes. Did you bring your culottes? The Sans the Sans Culottes was the uh, was the the socks. That, no, they that was the, that was they actually had pant legs. Yeah, yeah. So they wore shorts. They were capris. They tanned. They surf, bro. Bro, you come into my house yeah. with your culottes. While I'm got these sweet sunglasses, these girls around my arms. I got my surfboard ready to go. Come in here with that weak shit. That's why everybody makes fun of you. They say, dude, Steven, 
you, we're shorts too much. We're cargo shorts. Steven, it's well, there's February so, there's right so now. There's so many pockets, man. You can hold all your things. I can hold my stuff. You can hold all your spaghetti that you're spilling <laughs> out all over the floor when the girls don't like you. That's what they tell me. I try to stick up for you, but you know how it works sometimes. Yeah, I know how it goes, man. Um, but <laughs> What were we talking I about? I don't fucking even know, dude. Talking about the culottes? Uh, somehow we got to the sans culottes. Uh, don't try. Sans culotte. If you can't do it. Sans, what am I call it? Sans culotte. Say sans. Sans culotte. Culotte. Yeah. No. There's, you, do the T. 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 Don't do the S. Sans culotte. Sans culotte. Yes, they didn't wear pants. Sans culotte. What are you? What are you? Fucking. What are you doing? The uh, Cluzo. What are you Cluzo <laughs> on it over there? Oh, yo, are you Mr. Beanin? But anyway, so you you have getting back on the train, mm-hmm. back on the tracks, heading towards the cliff. You have this king who's not doing so hot. He's not producing any kids. So he becomes sort of the attention of political cartoonists. Mm-hmm. And whenever you have uh, media, which is in mass proportions sort of denigrating the popularity of your character or the charisma of your family, especially the king, then it doesn't matter if it's true or not. People are going to believe it because it's what they see. Because at the time, media was newspaper because people could read, but they didn't, you know, the radio signals weren't so great back then. And you had to smack the TV and adjust the antennas to get like even a stable picture. Netflix was in like, Beta. Super beta. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying. So, like, the reason that I think that Napoleon almost easily became an emperor is because the people were yearning for that single, solitary, strong leader that they had before that they lost in Louis XVI. I agree with you, dude. I think, like, he walked in to an empty throne and people were, like, just waiting for him to sit down. No, I agree. And I think, you know, it's... It's one of the things that kind of you know keeps occurring throughout medieval history. Oh God, shut up! Into listen, Dave. Whenever there's a monarchy, and we didn't have many monarchies in modern history. We got a few. We have a few. We a few goodness. But like, we had a lot beforehand. We had a lot beforehand, exactly. Um, but whenever there is a king that doesn't want to be king, that's a weak king. Weak king. Weak king. Weak king. Uh. Then it, then it does usually cause problems. They get the chop. They get the chop. They get the chop. Get the chop. But for for the most part, it's usually contained within the nobility, right? So there may be a grapple for the throne, but it's usually contained within the nobility. It's yeah. not usually not full usually, blown revolution. Not usually the people. Right. Exactly. Not usually the people's champ comes up from wherever because Napoleon was not noble. Yeah. He was. No, he wasn't noble. He, he was an everyman. He, he well, his well, and his, his his parents, his family had a title, but it was very. Yeah. It was one of those titles that you like you got if you did something, but like didn't come with money or. And land like you said, he, he's like not even truly French. He, he's not truly French. He's from Corsica. He's like not even you know, he's not even shit. Yeah. And then he becomes the biggest shit, the king shit. Yeah. Lord shit. Lord shit. Well, okay, so here's the deal. I think we're starting to ramble. So I think that means it's about time to so wrap let's, it up. So let's end on a very high note. Sure. Okay, so why is the French Revolution the single most important event in modern history? Go. Wow. Okay. Um. So I think the French Revolution produced Napoleon. Yeah. And I think Napoleon, Napoleon, <laughs> Napoleon changed 
changed the way war was fought and created this idea of total war, which I've mentioned before on the show. I swear to God. And so total war is the idea that this is the last war you're ever going to fight and we're not fighting to end the fight now and pick it up later. We're we're, We're fighting to end the fight permanently. And so before this, fighting was very much one of those things that's like, we're going to stop fighting and we'll pick it up back up later. And Napoleon creates this idea of, you know, total war. And like, this is the last war war we're ever going to need to fight. And it's going to include everybody. And it's going to be a, like a national thing. Yeah. And that's how war still is today. It's still very much national war. And I think Napoleon created it. And Napoleon is a product of the French revolution. I believe that on a much more micro level Mm -hmm. than this, something that's more tangible. The reason that, the French Revolution is is the most important war. Is it sets in motion, um, not sorry. The French Revolution is the most important event in history because it it sets in motion the political climate and the political atmosphere and the political conditions to create these allies and these enemies that will fall very neatly into place. For World War One, mm-hmm. World War Two, and like the rest of modern history, you know, because Agreed. of the French Revolution, we have the beginnings of the idea of a unified Germany, the German Confederation. Because before this, the Holy Roman Empire was nothing. It was nothing. It was you very, know, it was a bunch of really tiny, small countries with a, with a loose alliance. They like, and they fought more than they agreed. Right. You know, like that's what the entire Thirty Years' War was about. Like. Is people in one part of the Holy Roman Empire disagreeing with other, like, electors? And and the German Confederation didn't sustain itself, necessarily. But what it did do was it showed the Prussians what could be. And the Prussians defeated the French in the Franco-Prussian War. And then they made Germany. And then Germany became, you know, a world power today, as it was back then. Except now it's military ain't shit. Fuck you, German military. You learn your lesson. Twice. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> but, but like, the revolution, th- those, I, those, uh, that climate, it also really rendered, uh, French imperialism in the Americas kind of obsolete. You know, obviously, we had the Louisiana Purchase and, and Canada is its own thing right now. And, and it sort of took France out of this sort of, not ancient, but really traditional mindset of government that followed other countries for a long time. And, that, and that's why France, you know, became a world leader because right. of the French Revolution. I totally agree. I mean, the way I like to think about the French Revolution is that it was like 10 steps forward and then it was like 17, seven, yeah. 17 steps back. Well, no. And I, then I think, like I, 10 more steps I think it was forward. like 10 steps forward and 7 steps back. So they still made progress, but it was like they had to go through some shit yeah. to get to that progress. And then, of course, you know, the French Revolution influenced the Russian Revolution. It influenced, like, revolutions all over the world. All over the world, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, they were kind of influenced by the War of Independence from the United States. So America, you know, America started the Soviet Union. That's very, like... <laughs> You're, it's reaching a little bit. Well, I mean, but. you can link anything. <laughs> you, can, you can link anything. That's true. So, you know, I mean, America started ISIS. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wait, I, thought, oh, I thought we were... Oh, <laughs> Dave's being black back. Oh. <laughs> I'm back. I bit him in the ankle. 
That, that was apparently his weak point. We have a dead body just laying next to Achilles. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's what, the French Revolution. You know, it's the big revolution. It started almost a European war with everybody, and almost a global war because it went into Africa. Yeah. And then what happened afterward? Napoleon was a world problem. You know. Yeah, that's true. It create he creates this idea of the balance of power, which. Which, after Napoleon, all the other European countries kind of took a step back and were like, well, that fucking sucked. We need to make sure that never happens again. Yeah, you can almost say the French Revolution didn't end until Napoleon was put on St. Helena. Because he was the revolution for a long time. Right. Um, But I think balance of power, uh, you know, setting up kind of political and no alliances and kind of changing the face of warfare it also ushered in like france as a socially progressive country where previously it wasn't at all it, w- it was like you know a conservative catholic country just mm-hmm. like all the other ones but nowadays you think of france and it is sort of the most socially progressive country like during the revolution um you know they lessened persecution against minorities especially africans mm-hmm. and muslims and uh jews and they also, like, they didn't allow, like, a lot of things. But one thing they did allow uh, was same-sex couples for a while, which was, like, astounding to do in yeah. the late 1700s. And that sort of set the tone. And, I mean, France today is still Catholic, but it had such an anti-Catholic sentiment during the Revolution. That oh, it incredibly. It really stuck with a lot of people understanding that, like, it's not the world. Right. And that's one thing we didn't touch on was the religious... Um, that's because that's a whole nother that's a whole other thing but in short the revolutionary government banned religion in in france and, and they made their own religion. yeah and then kind of made their own religion that was based around like on the enlightenment but they pretty much told all the priests you can either openly con- openly denounce your faith or leave and a lot of priests left or went into hiding and then when napoleon came along he saw religion as a tool and was tried to make amends with the church and was able to like cut deals and things. But it's, it's very interesting, the religious aspect of the revolution, I think. Yeah, that's a whole other subject. It, it is a whole other subject. That's a whole other DBQ. That's yeah. like a whole other thing, man. Right. But anyway, Steven. Yeah. This was a very successful history. It was a very successful history. I, like I agree. To you. Dude, I did too, man. I wish we, were, we could record every episode like this. Yeah, definitely. But anything uh, you'd like to end with? Um, uh, we can. Yeah, there are some things I want to end with. Actually, oh, no, you, I, I'm not talking about plugs. Okay. I mean, like revolutionary, wars. revolutionary wise. The French Revolution oh. is a true revolution. The French Revolution is a true revolution. It is the revolution. It is the, the revolution. It happens within. It's 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 the revolution. I think when we think of revolution, if you want to study revolution, study the French Revolution because it right. has everything. Oh. Yeah. And if you don't want to do that, just watch the fucking History Channel. Yes. The History Channel documentary. The History Channel docudrama of the French Revolution is one of the greatest things. Oh, so good. It's up there with Russia Land of the Tsars. It's, I think they're equal. Yeah. I don't know. I think Russia Land of the Tsars is better, but I think they're, they're pretty close. They're really close. They're really good, though. How many times did we watch that shit? A lot. We watched that documentary five times. Five times, probably, actually. We probably watched it at least five times, I would say, in high school. I definitely agree. Yeah. Um, but I think 
Any any last comments from you in regards to the French Revolution? There ain't no party like a French Revolution party because the French Revolution party don't stop. Word. A lot of people think the French Revolution is still going on to this day. That it never ended. Is that a real thing? Yep. Wow. Be- because, like, the nature of French politics, like, if you know the, the, the rest of the history, after Napoleon goes out, a new king comes in, mm-hmm. uh, Artois, and His then... Cousin? It's Louis Eighteenth, so it's Louis's cousin or brother. I'm not it's sure. It's one of the two. But I know Louis' son dies, and he's the unnamed yeah. Louis Seventeenth. And then uh, after that, Napoleon's nephew, yeah. Louis Napoleon, or is it grandson? I'm not sure. So there's another Louis and another Napoleon in the 1800s. And then France becomes a, you know, democracy... And then World War One happens, and then Charles de Gaulle goes crazy after World War Two, and he gets ousted. And it, a lot of people consider the French Revolution sort of an in progress, a work in progress sort of form of government that is still pervasive to this day. You know, Sarkozy was out, and they elected a socialist president, and and that's fine for them that they've got what they're going on. I'm not condoning one form of government or another, but it seems like every time there's a power shift, it's a drastic. Radical right. power shift, you know what I mean? Which is which is very opposite of the United States. It's very opposite of almost anything else. Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of people consider the revolution still going on, still going on. Very just cool. less bloody. The guillotine right. got stopped in the 1970s. Stephen, last time someone was guillotined was in 1970. I think it should be brought back. Two, yeah. Yeah, I want somebody to to test the theory that you're alive, like your head's alive for a few seconds after, like. <laughs> I want somebody's head to get cut off and the head rolls and he goes, that's all folks. (laughs) Mythbusters final episode. Final episode. Oh man. Busters going in. (laughs) Rip Mythbusters. Yeah. Um, So I think is. That's it. That's it. Uh, Let's. Play the music. uh, Not quite. Not quite Dave. Not quite Dave. So I got to do, and it's great is I get to have my hand. On Dave's leg as I'm oh, doing the plugs, no. so I got to do some plugs. Ew. I, you know, it's, it's in the contract when we signed with uh, David Geffen. Dave, <laughs> when we signed with uh, History Channel to do this documentary, which this is what it is. It's a documentary podcast. It's a new radical form of of of, of media. Um, <sighs> but when we signed with Big History to do this podcast, uh, we uh, well, they, we have we they said you know you got to do those plugs, Stephen. Dave's gonna hate it, but Stephen, you got to do those plugs. And I said, all right, big history, you got it. And I said, you know, I'm gonna um, be here whispering, undermining things the whole time. Right, and they said, said that that was the plan. They said, go for it. Yeah. So I want to say, you know, thanks for everyone who's been listening. Uh, you know, we get a lot of love and support on this show, and that's really cool, and we really appreciate that. And it's something we talk about this a lot, but it's something we definitely weren't expecting. No. Like we didn't think this. We we thought we were ju- we're just doing this for us, and so the fact that so many people are enjoying it kind of is makes me really really happy. Um, and so obviously you know we're gonna keep doing it and keep putting keep making it better and better. Uh, so thank you for listening. Um, thank you for all the love you've given us. You want if you want to listen to more, if you like this episode and you want to you know like hey those guys are pretty funny. Uh, how do I get more of that? You can <laughs> find us. Uh, you can go to badhistorypodcast.podbean.com. Don't go there. Uh, it's where we have all of our episodes. You can also check us out on iTunes. Don't. Type in Bad History. Leave, you know, listen, leave a rating and review, all that good stuff. Don't do that. Um, you can check us out on Facebook. I wouldn't. On Twitter. Nope. At Bad History Cast on Twitter. Email us, badhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, no, we're on no. Stitcher. Nope. 
were on a bunch of other different is Sprecher something? Yeah, Sprecher something, and we Sprecher we don't you have to upload to Sprecher and yeah, fuck that. I don't do that. Yeah, Steven, aren't we also on some big ass? Directory for yeah. history podcast hyphen dot com. <laughs> so if you go to history hyphen podcast dot com, you're gonna need you're gonna it's gonna be all your podcasting needs. If uh, you're into history. Yeah, not if, you're, if into you're into history. Into, like other things like chemistry. Yeah, but we're there. Are there um, chemistry podcasts? Oh I'm sure there's chemistry podcasts, man. There's podcasts about everything. It's like making meth. Yeah. Um at bad making meth. At bad <laughs> but uh so so we're there our show's on there you can check us out there we're all over the place man honestly directories just kind of pull i just thought of a really good one what breaking bad history we talk about tv shows <laughs> we're not fucking putting that that's ours we're okay, not gonna put that on the show fucking come after us <laughs> kill you so yeah we're all over the place i think that's it for my plugs though Thank god I so reach it reach out to us if you want reach um, out and touch our butts we you know recommend a topic for us to do and we'll definitely do it ask questions we'll answer them if we can so like we said last time next week is uh the couples episode yeah historic historical couples and not good ones not bad ones just historical just historical ones. couples uh you know interesting historical couples and we're not doing no Marie Antoinette and Louis the Sixteenth. We just talked about them. We're not doing um, Bonnie and Clyde. We're not doing Bonnie and Clyde, and we're, we're not, not doing, doing Josephine and um, Napoleon. Now I'm at. Yeah, time. yeah, we won't do that. We're or not going to do Ferdinand and Isabel, or Cleopatra and, and, Mark, Antony. and Mark Antony. Um, do you want to know who I'm doing? I'm going to reveal it. I'm going to reveal a very special. I've never done this before. I'm revealing next. Fucking week. go for it! I am doing two, the cutest people, in American history. Doing it. John and Jane Adams. Fuck you. That's who I was going to do. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Damn it. Well, I'll figure one out. Anyway. Uh, okay. Thanks, thanks for listening to the yeah. third episode of History Hangouts. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. And uh, we'll try to do more of these whenever we can. But Steve and I live across the goddamn country from each other. Yeah, that's a huge problem. And we only do these when we're able to sit down together. So um, hopefully we'll be able to, you know, Hopefully soon we'll be able to do another one of these, but hopefully uh, these are special for us and for just in general. So that's why. Also, sorry for no completely off topic Mondays this week. We were super busy. We'll get one out next week. Yeah. In a few days, I guess. Yeah. It can be like completely off topic like Wednesday. That's dumb. I'm not changing it. All right. Whatever. Let's end the fucking episode. Happy history and good scrolls, everyone. Good scrolls, everybody. Oh, wait, they don't use that music.